You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Happy New Year to you. I think this is still the time of year where we say that, right? I don't know where the cutoff is for the Happy New Year greetings, but it's good to see you. If, uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Sam. I serve as one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, we're going to get right into it this morning. If you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 24? Luke chapter 24. And uh, actually, while you're turning there, actually, I have a, the privilege of sharing a really exciting announcement with you. And that is uh, where we ended off with our Christmas Eve offering. And so as you know, we were, we were looking to raise $55,000 to, um, to pay for 25 homes uh, concrete homes for people in the Middle East who are really vulnerable people from a displaced people group. And that felt like a stretch goal for us to reach that 55000 within the month of December. But really excited to share with you, because of the generosity of this church family, we were able to raise, should we do a drum roll? Drum roll, please. <laughs> we were able to raise $120,000. Isn't that amazing? Thank you, Jesus. They're, they're still counting a little bit, so it might be a little bit over 120, but at least $120,000, which is just so incredible. And so what we're going to be able to do is, yes, we'll absolutely fund these 25 houses, but we're also able to pay for electricity and food for all of these homes for the entire year of 2024, as well as some more in that neighborhood. So can we just thank God for his provision? So cool. You are a generous church. Okay. Um, I'm going to invite my friend Mike to come up and to read the scripture this morning. The rest of us, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? This is uh, Luke 24. We're going to start reading in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came and walked with them but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with, the, with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going far further. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. It is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. 
When he was at the table with them, he gave, took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when, when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. You can take a seat. All right. Well, this morning we are kicking off a brand new series on prayer. And, and you know, when I say that, I wonder what, what you think, what you feel when I say we're going to spend the next, I don't know, I think we have six weeks coming up studying prayer together. You know, I, I haven't seen the stats on it, but anecdotally, I would imagine that Christians struggle with prayer more than maybe anything else in the Christian life. Not everyone, but I think a lot of people struggle to pray. Do you think that's true? And I, and I think that's probably the case for, for a few different reasons, and not just spiritual ones, but like a lot of times prayer is just perceived as boring. For example, when you hear about a prayer meeting that you're invited to go to, maybe you just think about bad coffee in a dingy church basement, <laughs> awkward silence, and a night you'll never get back. <laughs> you know, prayer, prayer is often pegged as, as just this really boring kind of thing. And on top of that, it can be so hard to focus when we pray, getting distracted by all the things on our to-do list and, and the stuff that's stressing us out. And so what can end up happening when we go to pray is what one author described as you're just worrying in God's general direction. <laughs> I think another reason that we struggle with prayer is it can feel like we're just talking to ourselves. Maybe we wonder if we're doing it right. I've heard a lot of people say that they feel foolish when they pray, especially when they pray out loud with other people because they're not sure if they have their technique down pat or if they're using the right words. And so as a result, many people, many Christians just don't pray. We come up with all these excuses. You know, I have young children, so I'll pray later when they grow up. Or I have the evening shift at work, and so I'm always tired, I don't have time. Or I, I try to pray right before bed, but I always end up falling asleep. My sense is that prayer for a lot of us is like eating vegetables, we know it's good for us and that we should eat our greens, but if we do, most of us don't enjoy the process, unless we cover those greens in Caesar dressing and croutons, but is it healthy at that point anyways? I'm not sure. You know, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that that prayer can be a real struggle. One author, John Mark Comer, he claimed that we live in one of the most difficult times in all of human history to pray. And you know, whether or not that, that's true, it certainly feels that way, at least to me. I mean, with the smartphone alone, if ever there was a death blow to prayer for an entire generation, and then on top of that, there's social media, and there's YouTube, and digital streaming services, and noise pollution, there's so many built-in distractions to the modern West. And so I say all of that to say, if you struggle with prayer, you're not alone. You're in good company. And while I'll be teaching several of these different messages throughout the series on prayer, I am anything but a pro. I'm a fellow sojourner on this journey of learning to listen and respond to the voice of God. St. Teresa of Avila was known to say, when it comes to prayer, we are all beginners. And yet prayer is this portal into the deeper life with God, the life we all crave at the deepest parts of who we are. 
And whether we identify it as a desire for God or, or we misidentify it as a desire for something else, we all long for relationship with the divine, with the one who made us, with the one who sustains us. And so that's why we're doing this series to kick off 2024, because prayer is arguably the most essential part of our Christian journey, and yet it is so difficult to even know where to start. So maybe let's start here. We're going to start today by talking about how to listen to God's voice. So let's turn again to to Luke chapter 24, the passage that Mike read for us just a moment ago. It's often referred to as uh, the road to Emmaus. Maybe that's the title at the the top of your Bible. It's this beautiful story in Luke's gospel, and I want to look closely at it and almost treat it as a a bit of a, a case, a roadmap for learning to hear God's voice. I should say I'm indebted to a few different authors and thought leaders whose work was so helpful in the forming of these thoughts, especially Pete Gregg, a guy named John Mark Comer, Richard Foster, and Dallas Willard. Okay, we'll explore five ways that we can hear God's voice as seen right here in Luke chapter 24. So let's pick up again in verse 13. We'll read a little bit more slowly. It says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other and ev- about everything that had happened. Okay, pause. When it says they were, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened, this means that they were talking to each other about, about the life, death, and, and at this point, the possible resurrection of Jesus. This story takes place on, on Easter Sunday, and, and at this point, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's revealed himself to Mary Magdalene and the other women, and, uh, but these disciples who are walking on this road between Jerusalem and Emmaus, they actually haven't seen the risen Jesus yet. They've heard about it, but they're contemplating. They're not sure what to make of it. Has he really risen from the dead? Trying to make sense of the whole thing. And so then verse 15 says, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, it says, Jesus himself came and walked alongside them. Okay, let's pause there again. It's gonna take us a while to get through this passage. Uh, but, but I want you to catch this. Jesus himself came and walked alongside them. This is absolutely critical to our conversation on prayer. The way they hear God's voice, and this is after the resurrection, remember, the way they hear God's voice is in and through the person of Jesus. And that wasn't only true yet for those two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. It's also true for us today. I love the way that Pete Gregg from 24-7 Prayer says it. He says, Jesus is what God sounds like. He is literally the living word of God. Hearing his voice is not so much a skill we must master as a master we must meet. What a great quote. Prayer is not so much a skill we must master, but a master we must meet. And that's what happens to the disciples on the road to, to Emmaus that day. They meet the master. They meet Jesus himself. The, the author of Hebrews, he, he doubles down on this idea that God speaks, speaks to us through Jesus, through the person of Jesus. And he says, in, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the, through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So Jesus is what God sounds like. He is the word of God. And all throughout the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the word. And if you remember last uh, last. Last month, we worked through the Advent series, and we started in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. See, oftentimes in in modern Christianity, we refer to the Bible as the Word. But when when we read about the Word in the New Testament, it's usually referring to Jesus and the good news of his kingdom. Jesus is what God sounds like. And this is so important, that hearing the voice of God, it begins and it ends with Jesus. Because all other ways that God communicates, they come through Jesus and they point back to Jesus. 
That being said, as we're going to see as we keep reading in our text, Jesus uses a lot of, of different mediums to speak to us. For example, one of the clearest ways that God speaks to us is, is through Scripture. Let's jump back to Luke 24. Jesus is, is walking with the two disciples, as we said. And, and remember, at this point, they, don't, they actually don't know that it's Jesus that they're walking with. And so they start to share with this guy along the path that they're so dumbfounded by what they've experienced. They're trying to make sense of, of all that's happened with the life and then the death and the and possible resurrection of Jesus. They're trying to make sense of the whole thing and why this, this guy that they really believed was the Messiah had been crucified just a few days earlier. And, and so this is how Jesus responds to them as they share that with him. Verse 25, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explains to them what was said in all of scripture concerning himself. I love that. He explained to them. See, as Jesus is speaking to his disciples on the road to Emmaus, the first thing that he does is he opens up scripture. Jesus explains to them. He speaks to their minds. And I think that might be an important note for us this morning because I wonder if there might be people in here who are like, we're spending the first six weeks on prayer. Like, that sounds so soft and kind of nebulous. Like, I'm, I, my faith is more concrete. I'm, I'm more of an intellectual. I'm not really a touchy-feely kind of guy. I like the concrete. My faith is rational. And you know, if that's where you are this morning, I would say, good. That's one of the primary ways that God speaks to us is our minds through the diligent study of Scripture. Paul the Apostle, he echoes this idea in 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. You know, God speaks to us through his God-breathed canon of scripture, through the Bible. And, and, and it's so important that we think deeply and learn to understand our Bibles through rigorous study. I actually think it's quite profound that, that in revealing himself to the disciples, Jesus opens up scripture. You know, the first several, probably several hours of the disciples' encounter with Jesus was a Bible study. There's no keyboards playing with your favorite worship song on repeat and don't get me wrong, I am all for that stuff. But right here in our text, Jesus reveals himself to them which, through what seems like an incredibly passionate study of Genesis through Malachi. And I point this out to say that, that to pray doesn't require that we shut off our minds. Actually, quite the opposite. To encounter Jesus' presence, to learn to hear Jesus' voice, the voice of God, it, it's not at odds with good theology. Like, if we're gonna be a people of prayer, a people who know the voice of God in our ordinary lives, it's gonna start with learning to hear his voice and, and what it sounds like. And the best place to start is by learning from his inspired word. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, it says, he explained to them what was said in scripture concerning himself. See, listening to the voice of God is nothing less than learning to understand scripture. But I do also wanna say this. It's so much more than just an intellectually stimulating exercise. It's meant to go beyond our minds and, and actually encounter our hearts. I love the way that the disciples talk about this Bible study they had with Jesus. They say, we're not our hearts burning within us as he opens scripture to us. You know, when I was a young Christian, that is absolutely the way I would describe my, my relationship with scripture. In high school, I had this dynamic relationship with my Bible. I loved reading it multiple times a day sometimes. It, it felt like God was just speaking so loudly to me through the pages of scripture. And that's one of the reasons that I decided I wanted to go to Bible college, was to deepen my love for scripture, to hear God's voice in even more profound ways. And you know, that did happen. 
my journey through Bible college, to some extent, there were some specific moments. Like I remember there was this class uh, on, on the book of Romans. There's a teacher named Fred Eaton. And as he kind of unpacked, I don't even remember what passage it was specifically, but in the book of Romans, a certain text, it was like I understood for the first time again what Jesus had done for me on the cross. I just remember being so moved, brought to tears, sitting in that college classroom as I encountered Jesus on the pages of Scripture. But what I also found in, as I continued in Bible college, I think this was maybe midway through my third year, is that, that sadly this book that had once left my heart burning within me had turned into nothing more than a textbook for the most part. It was useful for writing papers and preparing sermons and talks from time to time, but that was kind of the extent of it. I mean, I was reading it more than ever before. I was doing word studies on the meaning of this Greek word or this Hebrew word and learning the historical context of the first century. And, but rather than looking for God on the pages of Scripture, I was looking for proof text for my papers on the Trinity or on sanctification or whatever it happened to be that week. It had become so common to me. And truthfully, it felt pretty uninspiring. Has anyone ever felt that way about reading Scripture? Now, I'd flip through, through it to get quotes, and, but this book that had once been a lifeline for my spiritual journey had become kind of dry and stale. And I found that to be true at, at several different moments throughout my walk with Jesus. You know, even sometimes I can find that in doing Bible plans that a lot of us probably started in January. Bible plans like the, the Bible in a year, devotional plan. It's awesome, and if it works for you, that is, that's great. Um, but what I found for me is that sometimes it can, it can turn into me just ripping through 10 chapters of, of the Bible so I can check that off my to-do list and do the same thing again tomorrow. And it can just become this to-do list rather than an, rather than an activity that, that's the source of life for my weary soul. You know, that being said, Scripture can absolutely and should be a place that we encounter the living God. And so one practice that's really helped me over this last several years is this practice that uh, it's called Lectio Divina. Has anyone practiced Lectio Divina before? Yeah, I see many of you. And, uh, and, and, and so it's, it's this practice, and I don't have time to fully unpack it uh, right now, but we, we have details in the prayer guides. By the way, um, we have an awesome prayer resource that I would love for you to take advantage of. Um, Pastor Ryan and a bunch of others on the team, uh, Jen, worked on this resource, and uh, really, I think it's really going to be helpful through this series. And so it's available for free online, or, uh, or you can pick up a copy, I think, by donation, a physical copy if you want that. I think suggested $5, or you can pay whatever you want for it. Um, but a really helpful resource. So it unpacks this practice of Lectio Divina in that prayer resource. But, but here's the thing. Here's how, how Lectio Divina works. Essentially, you just read through passages. Just say, God, what would you want to speak to me? What would you want to say to me today from this passage of Scripture? It's different from a Bible study. You know, in a Bible study, we ask, what did this text mean to the original audience, and how did it apply to their lives? Whereas Lectio Divina says, how, how is God coming to me personally through this specific text? Now, we have to be super careful here, because we don't want to manipulate the Bible. We don't want to allow the enemy to manipulate the Bible like he did to Jesus in the desert, trying to make it say something that it doesn't say. We're not asking for a new meaning. We're actually asking for God to reveal what aspect of the original meaning he directly wants to impress into our hearts and our lives. And this way of reading the Bible has, has become an earphone to God's voice for countless followers of Jesus down throughout the ages. And it's been a real gift to me in this season. So Lectio Divina, you can check it out. Let's keep moving. We can hear God's voice through scripture. Another way that we can encounter God's voice is in community. This is so important to the Christian life. 
Notice Luke 24, that Jesus shows up to the disciples together. They're walking on the road to Emmaus together. And that's an important theme that we see all throughout the New Testament. We follow Jesus together. Like we actually can't make it through the Christian life without friends. And here's where community is especially important in the practice of hearing God's voice, is in discernment, in discerning his voice. I can't stress this enough. We discern the voice of God together in community. You know, the amount of times that I've heard people say, you know, like, I, God told me I was going to marry so-and-so, <laughs> or God told me I was going to do this, or that this was in my future. Maybe, but I've also seen so many times that, that the guy didn't marry the girl he was so sure that God had promised him, <laughs> or, or, or that, 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 you know, even in my own life, where, where you, can, you can mishear the voice of, and there's no shame in mishearing God's voice. We're all in this process of learning to hear the voice of the shepherd, but let's come at it with a ton of humility and with submission to one another, saying, I think God might be saying, or I sense God is leading me in this direction. Because while God speaks perfectly and only ever speaks with absolute definitively what is true, our listening is anything but perfect. And I can think of countless times, even in my own journey, where, where I, in my, my journey of learning to hear God's voice, where I've thought I heard God say something, but I was wrong. You know, in verse 32, after encountering Jesus and hearing what he said, the disciples turned to each other, and they actually asked. Notice, they didn't state. They asked one another. Were not our hearts burning within us when he talked to us on the road and opened up scripture to us? It's like they're saying, did you see and feel and experience what I did? Like, I'm not crazy, right? Jesus really was here with us. They're confirming with one another what they experienced with Jesus. Things get dicey. They get dicey quick when we listen to the voice of God in isolation. That's where cults start. When we build our lives on prompts that we hear with, from God without weighing it first against Scripture. Remember, God is never going to contradict what he's said in Scripture, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we weigh everything we think we hear from God against scripture. But then we also bring it before other followers of Jesus. We say, like, does this sound like God to you? This is what I sense that God is leading me in or where he's leading me to go. And this is where I'm so thankful to lead our church alongside so many other great pastors, like Pastor David and Pastor Marty and John and so many others, and to have a wife who loves Jesus and I can discern the voice of God together with, even with our elders There are often times when I say things like, I think God might be leading us to do this. And so sometimes in community, as I say that, we discern together and we say, yeah, absolutely, I think that's the voice of God. And and, and sometimes in discernment as a community, we say, well, that might be God speaking, but it might not be for right now. It might actually be for, for later. Sometimes the timing's not right. Or sometimes I get it wrong. And that's why it's so important for us to surround ourselves with good people who love Jesus. This is where we cue the ad for community groups. Um, but, but honestly, it is so important that we are in the process of learning to hear God's voice with others around us. Okay, there's so much more to say on this topic, but I actually have to go pretty soon to preach at Rail City, so we're going to keep it moving. You guys get the short version. You're welcome. <laughs> um, we also hear God's voice in, uh, in the midst of circumstances, in the everyday, ordinary stuff of life. See, the setting of this encounter with the disciples that they have with Jesus, it's in the middle of a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus. They were just going about their day. They're in transit between two places. They encountered Jesus in the midst of their travel. You know, so often, 
we meet Jesus in the midst of our ordinary lives, on a walk, maybe at the mall, through the voice of a friend or in nature, and the changing of a newborn baby's diaper, or at work, maybe through art, maybe a song on the radio. Do people still listen to the radio? Some people do. Maybe on a long car ride to, down the Coca-Cola, he can speak to us through absolutely anyone and anything, and sometimes it's in the most unexpected ways. Jesus shows up to his disciples on this walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And hey, another thing that might be worth noting about their walk is, is the, the, the emotional state of the disciples as they were walking. Verse 17 says that Jesus came to them while their faces were downcast. They were mourning. They were mourning the loss of their friend. They were sad. They were grieving. They were downcast. You know, for some reason, I found this to be true in my life. I've seen this in the lives of, of many of you, the people around me, is that God seems to come to us. God seems to speak the loudest and most tangibly in the midst of pain and sorrow. Have you ever noticed that? That God, is, his voice sometimes seems louder. I don't think that's chance. That God's voice often seems louder and most recognizable in the valleys rather than in the mountaintops. Not all the time, but oftentimes I think that's true. C.S. Lewis called pain God's megaphone. He said that God whispers in our pleasures, he speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. I wonder if I could just encourage someone who's here today, if you are in the midst of suffering right now, whatever that looks like, whether it's physical pain, or relational pain, financial struggles, the loss of a loved one, and as you lean into God, seek him in the quietness of those moments, maybe by yourself or with others around you. But God promises that he is close to the brokenhearted. My prayer for you is that you would hear his voice, that you would sense his nearness as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as, as scripture calls it. When everything else is stripped away, when we come to the end of ourselves and realize our need for him, that's oftentimes when we experience his presence so tangibly. Okay, lastly, According to Luke's telling of this story, the disciples encountered Jesus slowly. They encountered him slowly, at a walking speed, to be specific. You know, this one's hard for me. You know, I don't know about you, but, but most days I have dozens of things, dozens and dozens of things on my to-do list. And so I find myself wanting to get from point A to point B as quickly as I possibly can. So if I'm walking, I'm speed walking. <laughs> or if I can jump on another form of transportation, be it one of those scooters that are roaming around Coquitlam all the time, or, or get in a car and move from one place to the other. And, and usually while I'm going, I want to be as productive as possible. So I have headphones in listening to an audiobook or a podcast as I'm on transit from one place to another. But here's, here's what I was wondering as I was reading this text this week. What would have happened if the disciples were rushing from Jerusalem to Emmaus? Like, would they have actually missed this profound encounter with the risen Jesus if they were running from one place to another? Well, they've just blazed right past Jesus. And could it be that sometimes we miss Jesus because of our pace? How often do we miss the voice of God? An encounter with him because we're just so busy. We have so much on the go, so much activity. Dallas Willard, who's, who's a great philo Christian philosopher, he's passed away now, but he said that the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day is, uh, does anyone want to guess what it is? The great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. Hurry. 
Yeah, he didn't say, he didn't say consumerism or lust or greed. He said the great enemy of the spiritual life is hurry. And here's why. Because it robs us of the capacity to be present in the moment, which is absolutely critical if we're going to hear the voice of God. But we're always rushing from one thing to another. One scholar pointed out that throughout the Gospels, Jesus is, is only ever walking at a, at a walking speed, about three miles an hour or five kilometers. And, uh, and he's never rushing. Most of his encounters with people are interruptions while he's en route from one place to another. And so this scholar concluded that Jesus is a five kilometer an hour God, one who's never rushed, one who's never in a hurry. But most of us, I think, I think we run our lives at, at 10 or 12 or 50 kilometers an hour. And so in a figurative sense, I think it's so easy for us just to blaze past him, to miss Jesus in the midst of our incredibly busy lives. It's crazy what slowing down can do for our relationships with God. And I'm preaching to myself on this one as well. Jesus comes to us. He wants to commune with us. But he comes slowly. And learning to hear his voice takes so much patience, waiting, and listening, and walking. Sometimes it can be painfully slow. But there's nothing more exhilarating than being with him, than learning to hear his voice. As we move towards the close, I invite the team to come back up. We'll respond with singing in just a moment. But if you've been following Jesus for more than a minute, let's say, I probably didn't share anything today that you haven't heard before. But I'm also so aware that we can know all of these things and can even do some of these things. We can read scripture and we can be in community and all the rest of it and we can still have hearts that are far from God still be foreign to the voice of Jesus. But you know what's stuck with me in, in, in this, from this passage over this last week is the words at the very tail end of the story that I haven't been able to shake them ever since I read these words at the tail end of this passage, the road to Emmaus. And so to recap, let me just recap what's going on. The disciples are walking. They encounter Jesus on this walk. He opens up scripture to them, and he just starts to blow their minds with what he says from Genesis to Malachi. They have this dynamic conversation, and then it gets to this point where they're going, and and they've come to their turn. They're turning off the road to go to Emmaus, and Jesus is, is about to continue to go straight. So the disciples are just about to break away to go to their destination, and it says they urged him strongly, stay with us, and so he stayed with them. They urged him strongly, stay with us, For it's nearly evening, the day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. And I think there's something so powerful that we can catch from those few words. They urged him to come and to stay with them, so he went to stay with them. Here's what I think that means. is that God comes where he's wanted. That God comes and he dwells with us, he wants relationship with us, but he comes where he's wanted. Jesus never barges in. He never forces us into relationship with him. And if we're satisfied knowing him at arm's length, if we're satisfied in in the shallow end, he's never going to pull up, make us to go into the deep end. But if we draw near to him, if we urge him, come and, and dwell with us, if we draw near to him, he promises that he will draw near to us, that we will experience him. We will learn to hear his voice and have this dynamic relationship with Jesus. God comes where he's wanted. So what's the goal of prayer? What do we get from prayer? We get God. We get Jesus. 
We get deep relationship with the one who knows us fully. Everything about us, the good and the bad, the, the successes and the failures and the shortcomings, he, get, he, he knows all these things about us and yet he loves us completely and perfectly. The goal of prayer is communion with God, relationship with him. You know, I wonder what would happen if we asked him, if we said, God, in 2024, would you come and encounter us afresh through scripture? Would you come and speak to us through community? That's good, Quitlam Alliance Church. Would you show up in the ordinary places of our lives? Like, what if we actually decided to slow down? What if we cut things from our schedule so we weren't always rushing where we were going? And we just created some margin in our lives to hear from him. I bet you anything that God would respond to our prayer of faith. Remember, he comes slowly. Scripture describes it often as a still, small voice. But God comes where he's wanted. He draws near to us as we draw near to him. And so why don't we take a moment to pray together? If you're here today and you say, I, I do want to draw near to God, I want to I ask him to, to come and to dwell and to abide with me. I want to be close to him. I just want to invite you to, to, to just put out your hands as a sign of kind of receiving from him. Just quietly in your seat. Say, God, I want more of you this year. I want to encounter you through scripture and study. I'll encounter you through community. I'll encounter you through my circumstances and life good and the bad. God, I just pray that we would be a people who know you. We don't just know about you. We don't just know what you are like, but who actually know you. God, I pray that you would come and dwell with us in a tangible way. That as we become a people on our knees in prayer, who pursue you, of everything else. We choose to abide with you. We trust that you will also abide with us. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.